Last week, we started a, a new series on spiritual disciplines, and the way we started that last week was by looking at the idea of spiritual health. And the reason why is because the spiritual disciplines that we are to do as believers are there to grow us in our faith and our knowledge of God and in our godliness, which is to be godlike, like Christ. And that is an ongoing process that takes time, and it is an aspect of being spiritually healthy. And so last week, we talked about spiritual health and looked at all that was involved in that. And starting this week, we're going to start moving into a different uh, transitioning, if you will, into the actual disciplines or exercises that we are to do uh, in order to gain this spiritual health that we talk about. Now, if you remember real quick, um, you can have all the knowledge of all of these disciplines in the world. Your head can be completely full of everything we're going to cover over the next few weeks, but if you don't apply it, then it does no good for you. And so the point of this is not to give you head knowledge about these spiritual disciplines. It's actually to give you knowledge so that you can apply it. As James would say, don't be a, just a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. So not just grasping it from an intellectual perspective, but from a perspective that is actually going to lead out. And in the books of Acts chapter 2, uh, you get a, a kind of a, um, a broad scope, if you will, of the spiritual disciplines that are to be found in our lives this morning. And so I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 42. Now, what has happened here is, is Pentecost has come. Peter ha has proclaimed the gospel to uh, the people. They've asked him what should they do. He tells them to repent uh, and all this type of stuff. And it says that uh, a lot of people, 3,000 people were saved uh, and, and became a part of the church that day. And then in verse 42, it says this, and they, being those who were in the church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you would bless the reading of your word, and now as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase, that the words would be shared would be yours and not mine. And Father, they will impact our hearts for the purpose that you intend for them for this morning, and that, Father, we would respond in obedience as our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the very first idea, or very first aspect of, of spiritual exercises or spiritual disciplines, and it's the idea of our spiritual food or spiritual diet food. What are we supposed to eat spiritually? And we're going to talk about that this morning. But before I do, I want to read something that I came across a long time ago, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and populated the earth with broccoli, cauliflower, and spinach, red and yellow and green vegetables of every kind, so that man and woman would live long and healthy lives. Then, using God's great gifts, Satan created Ben and Jerry's ice cream and Krispy Kreme donuts and said, you want chocolate with that? And man and woman said, you, while you're at it, could you just add some sprinkles to that as well? And they gained 10 pounds and Satan smiled. So God created the healthful yogurt so that women might keep the figure that man found so fair. But Satan brought forth white flour and from the wheat and sugar from the cane and combined them. And woman went from size 6 to size 14. And God said, try my fresh green salad. And Satan brought 
forth ranch and blue cheese dressing, buttery croutons and garlic toast on the side, and man and woman unfastened their belts following the feast. God then said, I have sent you heart-healthy vegetables and olive oil in which to cook them, but Satan brought forth the tempting deep-fried fish and chicken-fried steak so big that it needs its own platter, and man gained more weight, and his cholesterol went through the roof. God then created a fluffy white cake named angel food cake and said it is good, and Satan created a chocolate cake named devil's food cake and said it's better. And as a result, God brought forth running shoes so that his children might lose extra, uh, the extra pounds, but Satan created cable TV with a remote control so man would not even need to get up to change the channels. And man and woman laughed and cried before the great flickering blue light and gained more weight. Then God brought forth the potato, naturally low in fat and brimming with nutrients. And Satan peeled off the healthful skin, sliced the starchy center, and into, made it deep-fried into chips. And uh, I lost my place. Deep-fried into chips, and man gained more weight. God then gave green or lean beef so that man might consume fewer calories and still satisfy his appetite. But Satan created McDonald's and its 99-cent double cheeseburger and said, you want fries with that? And man said, yep, supersize them. And Satan said, it is good, and man went into cardiac arrest. God sighed and created quadruple bypass surgery, and Satan smiled and created health insurance. So um, <laughs> I came across that a long time ago when I was reading some stuff on diet. And, and what I found when it comes to our diet is, uh, you ever notice how diet food costs more than other food? Um, and I've always found that to be strange, but, um, the, and it doesn't, it costs more. It seems like it's harder to get and, uh, and everything. So what is that, what I just read, what does that have to do with our spiritual and spiritually, spiritual disciplines series? Well, the thing of it is, if you and I want to get healthy physically, part of what we have to do is eat healthy. You have to eat healthy food if you want to get healthy. I, when I was in uh, school, we, we learned a computer um, uh, terminology, which was garbage in, garbage out. And the idea was if you put garbage into your computer, garbage is what you get. When I did my computer programming class, if you program junk, junk is what you get. And the same is true in our bodies. If you eat unhealthy, then what you get is unhealthy. If you eat healthy, then what you get is healthy. And, and, and so... But we, if we want to be healthy physically, we have to eat healthily. I want you to know this morning, the same is true for us spiritually. If you and I want to be spiritually healthy Christians, then we need to look at what we're eating spiritually. Now, I'm not here this morning to teach and preach on a physical diet, but I'm here to preach and teach on a spiritual diet that the Word of God tells us we need to have in our lives if we are to be healthy. And to do that this morning, I want to point out a few things, and I'm starting to lose my voice, you have to bear with me. Um, I want to point out a few things about what spiritual food is. What is it that we're supposed to eat, this spiritual diet food? And there are three things. The first one is I want to define for you what spiritual food is. So what is it? What is our spiritual diet food? What is it that we're supposed to eat spiritually, if you will? Well, to answer that question, I want to give you a verse of Scripture. You can write it down. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to quote it for you. But it's found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been let. Um, he went out into the wilderness, and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And as soon as he finished fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan came and began the temptation of Christ. Okay? And, and the first temptation... 
that, that Satan laid on Jesus was immediately upon finishing his 40-day fast, Satan told him, turn those rocks into bread. If you're God or you're the son of God, then you turn, you work a miracle, and you turn those rocks, those stones, into bread. And here's what Jesus' answer to him was in Matthew 4, 4. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, in short, our spiritual food is the word of God, or every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Just as we need food to survive physically, we need spiritual food to survive spiritually. And Jesus says our food spiritually is every word that flows out of the mouth of God. And so where are these words found? Where do we find the very words that come out of the mouth of God? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I want to answer it for you this morning. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to read a couple verses to you in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, Paul's writing to Timothy who's pastoring a church, and he says this in verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The key to that text is the word inspired. When Paul says that the word of God, the scripture is inspired by God, that word inspired in the Greek is a, a combination word of two words. The first one is the, the word for God, and the other one is for the word breathed. And so the literal definition of inspired in the Greek language is God breathed. So the idea in 2 Timothy 3 is that the scriptures are literally the words of God. They have proceeded out of his mouth. He uses man to pin them, but they were moved. They were breathed out by God. And therefore, our spiritual food is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is the scriptures. So this is what our diet food is. If you were in Sunday school this morning in John's class, you got a little bit of this. I was sitting back laughing. I told Jenna, um, I wonder if he read my sermon notes because he talked about the word, the spoken word of God and, and needing to be in this word and all of that. And, and that's the same as is true here. We, we need to have a diet that is consistently found to be spiritually fed, and that is by the word of God, the Bible. Now, that's what our spiritual food is, but what does it do for us? Like, we know that if you eat physical food, we ingest it, we, we digest it, and then we, as we digest it, we get the nutrients and everything that the food contains that we need that gives us energy. We turn all of that into energy so we can be active and do the things that we need. When we eat healthy food, things that are full of nutrients, we have more energy. When we eat things that don't have a lot of nutrients in it, we don't have nearly as much energy. But, but we, we, we've got this, and we have a knowledge of that. And we know what food does for us physically, but what does our spiritual food do for us? Well, it's also found there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The verses that I read, there are five things, and I'm not going to go into detail because each of these is their own sermon, but I want to give them to you. There are five things that the Bible tells us the Word of God does for us when we ingest it or when we digest it, and that is 
it um, is good for us, profitable for doctrine. That's the first thing that Paul tells Timothy. It's useful for doctrine. Now, doctrine is what we believe and why we believe it. Okay? And so, true doctrine comes from evidence based in the Word of God. You and I both know that there are lots and lots and lots of false doctrines out there today. There are false teachings, false theologies. You don't have to look very far. You can find them on TV. You can find them on the radio. You can find them in books. Um, You don't have to look very far to find false doctrine. And the way you tell false doctrine from true doctrine is whether or not it lines with God's word. That's what the Bible tells us to do. You don't just accept any spirit that comes to you, but you're to test the spirits against what? Against the very word of God to ensure that they are proper. Okay, and so the Word of God is profitable to us. It does something for us because it provides doctrine in our lives. In in the church today, I think a lot of people, they hear that word doctrine, and it scares them. They think doctrine, they think, oh, i got to sit through a theology class, and i got to learn all these tough words. No, you don't. it's not really about tough words and long words, although there's some benefit in knowing some of those things. But the truth of the matter is it's foundational for our faith is good doctrine, and we need it. And we get it from the word. You're not going to get it from anywhere else. He says it's good not only for doctrine, but for reproof. Now, that word reproof is not really a word we use much of today anymore, but it literally means to rebuke or convict. It means to rebuke someone or to convict. And this is probably one of the reasons why we don't really eat spiritual food very much. We don't like the word because it seems like every, I don't know about you, but every time I get in and I find I'm, I'm further from God than I really thought I was. Like every time the older I get, the more I'm in it, the more of a sinner I am. Does that, does that make sense? Like you, 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 you're growing in your faith, you think you're going good, and then you read God's word and it kind of brings you back down to reality and reminds you, wait, you don't have it all together, you don't know everything, and, and, and it convicts us. Now you do know the difference between being convicted, right, of the Holy Spirit, and the difference between the Holy Spirit's conviction and Satan's condemnation on you. The conviction is always for the purpose of repentance and for reconciliation. You see, God uses his Holy Spirit to convict us, to show us where we're wrong in order to turn us into a a desire to have a proper relationship with him. Whereas condemnation is, oh, look how miserable and terrible uh, of a sinner you are. You're just terrible. How could God ever love you? He forgave you for that. That is Satan bringing stuff up to try to keep you down. God's word is conviction to condemn you, but to get you to turn, it's for reconciliation. God's ultimate desire is to have a relationship with you. And the way he does that is sometimes our relationship gets broken because of sin in our life, and so he sends us the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin so that we will turn into a relationship. The same thing that a parent sometimes have to do to their children when they've messed up. You don't condemn your children, but you do rebuke them for what they do wrong in order that they will turn and get back on the proper path. That's the same thing that God does for us too, and we get that through his word. The third thing is correction. He says it's good for correction. I want you to know, here's something for everyone this morning. You can take this to the bank and and you can walk out of here. If you don't learn anything else, you can learn this today. You're not always right. You're just not. Neither am I. And there are times when we need to be corrected, and the way we find true correction is through the Word of God. It corrects our paths. It corrects our understanding. Sometimes we have a misunderstanding of things, um, and 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 the Word of God corrects us on that, and we change. Um, I was when I was studying for our Revelation series that I'm doing on Wednesday nights. I. uh, 
I ran across an article that a pastor wrote, and he said the first time he preached through Revelation, he got to, uh, I think it was about chapter 4, chapter 5, and he preached 10 reasons why the rapture will happen in these chapters. And then he got to the next chapter and come back the next week and said, here's 10 reasons why I was wrong. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes we get a misunderstanding, and, and the Word of God corrects us. Sometimes... We are are adamant that we're accurate about something. We're adamant that we're right. And then all of a sudden you get in God's word sometimes and you realize, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not as right as I thought I was. You see, we're not all right. We're not all right all the time. We make mistakes. And the word of God corrects us. And listen, that correction gives us an understanding which leads, listen, to proper obedience to him. It's really hard to be properly obedient to someone when you're wrong about what you believe you ought to be doing or how you ought to be acting. Now, the church in Southern Baptist life has experienced this because I'm here to tell you, if you look back in Baptist church history, when it, back in the 1800s and even in the South in the Civil Rights Movement in the 60s, Southern Baptists were on the wrong side of a lot of issues. The wrong side of a lot of relationship issues between white and black. Now, there were a lot of Southern Baptists that were adamantly opposed to desegregation and, and different things like that, and, and they wanted to keep people safe. You look back in our history, not all, but by and large, we had a large majority of people that were on the wrong side of a lot of issues, and guess what has changed a lot of that? Getting into the Word of God and being corrected. I mean, if you were to talk to some of those pastors in the 1950s and 60s or back in the 1800s and 1700s, they would tell you that they're convinced by the Word of God that they're right. But if they were to be here now and listening to the Word of God and reading it, sometimes we read the Word of God with blinders on, basically. We, We have a preconceived idea of what it should say. And by the way, when you do that, I guarantee you almost every time you're going to end up being wrong. You never read the Word of God with a preconceived idea. You don't, you don't let the, the Scripture is to inform your ideas. And that comes through, has to come through being corrected because we're not always right about things and we need to be corrected. We get that through the Word of God. The fourth thing is training in righteousness. He tells us that we are, it's good for us because it trains us in righteousness. Now, righteousness is acting in accordance with divine law. It's doing what we're supposed to do based off what God says we should do. Not based off what man should, says we should do. Righteousness is doing what God says we ought to do. And the Bible tells us that, that the word trains us in righteousness. Here, here's something for you. You are not going to be able to be righteous truly righteous apart from the word of God because only the word of God will train you to be righteous. You see what I'm saying? The world is not going to train you to be righteous, church. Facebook is not going to train you to be righteous. Television is not going to train you to be righteous. Music is not going to train you to be righteous. The word of God is going to train you to be righteous. Now, sometimes you will see that on Facebook. Sometimes you will see the Word of God in music or on TV. But those things in and of themselves, if they're separated from this, will never teach you and train you in righteousness. It's here. And so we need the Word of God because it trains us in righteousness. And the last thing that it does for us is it equips us for ministry. He says that it's good for training in righteousness and that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly, I like that word, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the, the, the word of God tells us that God has a plan for you and for me, if you're a believer. He has a plan for you. And the word of God is what equips you to be able to accomplish 
accomplish what he's called you to do, no matter if it's to be a pastor, a youth pastor, music minister, Sunday school teacher, or just a, a church member that works out in, in the world today. He wants to equip you to be able to do what he's called you to do, and you get that equipping through his word. And so the this, this spiritual diet food is revealed to us in that it is the word of God. It's every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and it has results for us in these five areas. Now, the second thing I want to see this morning is not only what spiritual food is, defining it and seeing what it does. The second thing we have to know after we know what spiritual food is and what it does for us, the second thing we need to know is in relation to our spiritual health is how do we digest it? How do we digest it? Well, here's, I'm going to keep, kind of keep this simple for you. And since I've been using the, the analogy of diet and exercise, how do you digest healthy food physically? You have to consume it. If you don't consume it, you're not going to be able to digest it. That's, that's, that's the way it is. And the same is true of our spiritual food. If you don't consume it, you're not going to be able to digest it. And so we need to digest it. Now, if you go back to the, the verses I read to you in Acts chapter 2, coming back uh, full circle a little bit to where we started. In Acts chapter 2, you'll find a very simple yet profound truth about the digestion of God's word. Listen to what he says in verse 42. And the apostles, or, or sorry, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or the teachings of the apostles, which, by the way, is what we have now written for us in the scriptures. Okay, and so they continued steadfastly in the teachings of the apostles, which is the word of God. Now, that word steadfastly, here's, here's, here's where it comes into the digestion part. Steadfastly is defined as constantly devoted to, constantly attentive to, continuing at all times without feigning. That's what it means to be steadfast in this. So the point is, we are to take in the Word of God. We are to consume it into the Word of God continually, constantly, daily. There shouldn't be a day that goes by where we do not ingest spiritual food. You see, here's the thing. You and I can go a day without eating physically. As a matter of fact, um, studies show with some argument that, that if someone was just to completely eat it, quit eating anything with no nutrients whatsoever, the average human would last about three weeks. Some maybe more, some maybe less. It just depends on that person and, and, and some different things. But somewhere around three weeks, you can survive without any physical food. But here's the thing. You may be able to survive that long, but you're not going to be healthy for those three weeks. And here's another thing. You can last a whole lot longer than three weeks if you just cut to, say, one meal a day or one of this a day. You add a little bit, just a little bit of nutrition, just a little, and you'll last a whole lot longer, but you'll never be completely healthy because starvation will overtake you and it will affect your health in many different ways. And I want you to know this is the same, I believe is true with us as believers when it comes to our spiritual health. I don't understand how we, we can go a day without ingesting the word of God. Because if we don't ingest it, we can't digest it. And if we don't digest it, we don't get the benefits from it. You wanna know why so many churches today are fighting and splitting 
You want to know why so many church members are, are continually struggling in their physical life, not, not necessarily physical, but in their spiritual life with, with all kinds of issues, whether or not it be a sin issue or an emotional issue, and they're just struggling all the time? You can, I guarantee you the biggest chunk of that is because we are so malnourished spiritually. Because we would rather talk about the Word of God. We'd rather talk about God than get in the Word of God and consume it so that we can digest it so that it will work and do what it's intended to do for us. The same as food is for us physically. I, I wish that we would get up. I, me personally, as you can tell, I don't miss many meals. And there are some days when I wake up <coughs> and I got food on the brain. Like, I wake up, and I'm thinking, oh, breakfast, what sounds good today? And, and then my mind will go through all the different things that I could eat that will taste good, that will fill me up. Sometimes I think, well, i got to do it in a hurry. Sometimes I have more time. Some is, I know I'm going to not be able to eat lunch until later, so what can I eat? The, at this time, it's going to tie me over, and I have food on the brain. And, and, and I, I long uh, for the day when I myself and we as believers were to wake up with that same hunger for the word every day. Where we woke up with it on the brain and said, you know what, I, I need to be in the word. I, I'm hungry spiritually. I'm starving spiritually today, and I need to, to get up. You know, I've, I, I've had this break, and I need to get back in the word of God. So we need to be in it. You can't can, you can't get the benefits of your spiritual food if you don't consume your spiritual food. You have to be in it. You have to be in it. And then the third thing, real quick this morning before we close, is I want to teach you a little bit about the, um, its reliability, if you will, Sp our spiritual diet's reliability. Um, you see, all diet food, diet advertisements like if you look online and you see Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or, or any of those diets that you'll see online, um, those advertisements, what they try to do is they try to establish for you um, the benefits of their product, right? Isn't that what their commercials do? They're trying to establish for you the benefits of being on their diet. Now, they will do that uh, by trying to convince you that their product or their diet is reliable. You can trust it. And the way they do that is they'll give you the science for it, right? So here's what the science says about this diet. If you'll do this, then this will happen for your body, and you'll burn this, and you'll lose that. And so they try to give you the science of it. They'll give you the personal testimonies of it. They'll, they'll give you all the, the, the people who are trying, and they'll say, hey, you know, they'll, they'll quote so-and-so, I did this, I did that, and I did this, and it worked for me. And so you get the personal testimony of the diet and why it's effective, and then... And when all else fails, almost every one of them have a spokesman. I'm going to ask you guys to please be quiet. Thank you. Um, I'm going to, they're going to come together with a spokesman, and they're going to say, trust me, it works for me. And that spokesman is almost always a celebrity, right? It's almost always someone who's famous. 
trust me, this worked for me. If it worked for me, it'll work for you. So they give you the science, they give you personal testimony, and then they give you the celebrities that say, trust me. And then we get sucked in to the idea that their diet is reliable, and then we'll pay the money to, to get the cards or to get the food or whatever it is they're offering or to go to their gym or whatever, and we'll give them the money and we'll get involved. Now, as we close this morning, I want to do the same thing with you. I want to give you the proof. I want to give you the reliability of being on a spiritual diet consisting of the Word of God. Now, when I would do this, there's a, there's a lot of ways I could do that. I, there's a lot of proofs, I guess, we could give you. I thought about bringing up the scientific proof of the Word of God, the fact that the Word of God has never been disproved scientifically. I could give you that, so I just did. That's a freebie. I could have given you the archaeological proof that no, nothing in Scripture has ever been disproved through archaeology. As a matter of fact, archaeology has always correlated Scripture. I could give you the proof of history and the fact that the Bible has been proven to be a reliable historical book that has history that even history doesn't know that happens, they'll say, hey, the Word of God talks about this, and we have no proof of that. And then guess what? Over the years of excavation and archaeology and finding things, they'll go, oh, wait a minute. This is actually, this really did happen. And we're like, yeah, we knew that. The Bible said that over 2,000 years ago. I mean, so we, we know it's reliable from those standpoints, but there's some others that I want to talk about. Those are bonuses. These are the real proofs that the Bible is reliable as a spiritual diet to make you spiritually healthy. The first one I want to give you is the simple fact that the reason why we know it's reliable is because it's God's Word. If it's God's Word and God is truth, then the Word of God is truth. That means that there's no error in the Word of God. There's, there's no place where you can turn to and not find it to be reliable. And, and this tests our faith, right? Because if you don't believe that there is a God that has all truth, then how in the world would you believe that his word even exists, let alone is all truth in itself? You see, but if we have faith that there is a God who has revealed himself to us through Jesus and through the disciples, through the apostles, a written word by breathing them out to us, then we can trust the reliability of the word of God because it simply is the word of God. You can take it to the bank because he is truth. In him there is no deceit. There is no lie. It's true. You can take that. There's a second though, and that is I believe there's a proof of the reliability of becoming spiritually healthy through the Word of God, by simply looking at the examples that it contains inside it. You see, it doesn't take long, if you start looking all the way back in the Old Testament, it doesn't take long before you start to find people who are imperfect and make a lot of mistakes. They do all kinds of things wrong. I'll give you an example. One of the first ones you'll find, um, it's not the first, I'll just say one of the first, is Moses. Moses is given up as a baby because his 
mom wants to save his life because there's an edict that's went out to kill all the male children. And so she puts him in a basket. We know the story. She puts him in the basket. He's found uh, by uh, Pharaoh's sister, I believe, and she raises him. And he's raised in Pharaoh's household, basically. And, 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 and we know the story of all that. And, and when he finally figures out that he's a, um, a Hebrew and he sees uh, one of Pharaoh's military men uh, beating a a fellow Hebrew, and what's he do? He murders the guy. Moses is a murderer. And, and, but he goes, after an encounter with God, he goes from being a murderer to a leader of God's people. So we have an example of, of Moses. We have, we have an, a later example of David. David was nothing more than a, a shepherd boy that was over looked. Um, nobody thought of him to, to be king. As a matter of fact, when they sent for David's dad to bring his sons in to anoint the king, they left David out in the field. He wasn't even worthy by his own father's standard to be brought in to, by the, to be looked at by the prophet. The prophet comes to the last brother and says, is this it? He said, well, we got one more. He's out tending sheep. We'll bring him in. And that's who God anointed. He was Nothing, but the story with David's a very interesting one because he goes from sheep herder to king, but then he goes from king to adulterer and murderer to being a man after God's own heart. There is plenty of stories all through the, the Old Testament. You can find them in the New Testament. But the, the story of Peter. Peter was a follower of Christ. He went from a denier of Christ. He denied Christ three times. And I started with these, these verses in Acts 2 because of what they do, but there's a beautiful tie-in. Do you know who's preaching in Acts 2? It's Peter. You know who he's preaching to? He's preaching to the same crowd that he denied Christ to. So in 40 days, he went from a denier of Christ out of fear for his life to preaching the word with boldness in front of the same group of people. Why? Because he had been with Christ. Christ changed him. And then you've got the example of Paul. Paul went from being a persecutor of the Christians to being a preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. Why? Because he had an encounter with Christ through God's word. Now, now listen, here's the thing. We can rely on God's word because it's God's word, but also because it gives us examples inside it that we can read and we see the difference that God makes in people's lives. And then the third one, and this is it, is the examples from without. Not from within, but from without. That's the examples of the, the people that, that give personal testimony to what the Word of God did in their life. There's, there's examples like John Newton, who was a slave trader, captain of a slave trading ship that was a terrible man. By, by his own account, he was an alcoholic. He, he cursed all the time. He was a, a wretch. That's the word he would call himself, wretch. Until they got into this terrible storm, and he, he cried out to God, God, have mercy on me. If you will save me, I will devote my life to you. And John Newton became a prominent preacher of the gospel. Most of you will know him simply because he penned the words, Amazing Grace. Then there's the stories of a, of a lady, and she's, she's still alive. Her name is Iris Blue. Some of you may have heard of Iris Blue. Iris Blue was a, 
a girl that, that jumped around from uh, home to home. She was in foster care. She was rebellious. She was promiscuous. She did all kinds of vile and rotten things, and, and she ran away. And, and one day she was out on the street corner selling herself her body for money again and again like she always did. And there was a man who came and presented to her the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and this is her testimony. She, she come to an understanding that she was a sinner and needed a Savior, and she bowed down a tramp, but she gave her life to Christ and stood up a woman of God. You see, then there's, there's stories like that throughout. I can give you my own story. How when I was nine years old, I, I was a sinner, and I that, I mean, I come to an understanding through God's word that I was in need of a Savior, and so I gave my life to Christ. I, I can tell you uh, that through God's word, on July 26, 1996, God called me to preach the word by leading me to a verse of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that says this, preach the word. You see, the, the Word of God has power to transform us. And there are examples all around us. There's the example of it being God's Word. There's example of the, the, the people within it. There's examples from people from without it where God has used His Word to transform them into healthy spiritual believers. And part of that health is being led into maturity. My favorite hymn is It Is Well With My Soul, by far, my favorite hymn. It's, the words were written by a man named Horatio, Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a, a businessman. He was a believer in Christ, but he was a, a businessman, and, and he was going to take a trip to Europe, and he had some business tend to. So he sent his wife and his kids ahead of him. He was going to catch up with them. And make a long story short, basically, the boat that his wife and children were in sunk. And Horatio Spafford received a, a, a telegram back saying, boat sank, wife saved alone. So her, her, all of his children died and perished in that, in that accident. As he got on the boat to board to go over to Europe to meet up with his wife and figure all that out, he gave word to the captain and said, when we come to the place that it's thought that they had perished, would you let me know? And he came out at that moment, the captain called out to him, and in that moment penned the words, it is well with my soul. If, if you've never read the lyrics and you sing it and you don't focus on it, you go back and read that. How does someone get to where they can have that kind of peace in that kind of storm in their life. I want you to know it doesn't happen by accident. Horatio Spafford was able to pin those words because of the word of God had brought him spiritual health that brought him maturity to be able to focus on the truth of the gospel even in that moment. See, you and I, if we want to be healthy spiritually, We've got to ingest and digest the Word of God. You and I will never be spiritually healthy without it. We'll be malnourished, we'll struggle, and we'll never reach the spiritual health that God has for us if we try to do so without a steady diet of the Word of God.